Good morning. It is so good to be together. Um, my name is Jill McNabney, and I've been a part of Storyline since the beginning, and several times a year I get to do this. Uh, for the past few weeks, Mike has been talking about stage theory and how almost every aspect of life, including faith, is often experienced and developed in stages. And who knew it even holds true for garbage? Uh, it seems like there's nothing in life that can escape this. For as long as I can remember, I think all 18 years I've been teaching at Lakeshore High School, uh, I've had this poster up in my classroom. And when I first started teaching, every kid knew who this was. But over the years, that's changed. Uh, now when I ask my students who this is, most of them have no idea, and the rest assume he's some famous scientist. I mean, why else would he be on the wall of a biology lab? I mean, it's pretty demoralizing, I know. Not only have kids today not watched the greatest television show of all time, they don't even know what it is. I mean, it really makes you fear for the future. Um, now, the same was true of both The Office and Friends, and then Netflix picked them up. And now, Michael, Dwight, Phoebe, and Joey are famous again. And I've always wondered, would the same be true for Seinfeld? Well, a couple weeks ago, my forensics class, uh, we were starting our unit on serial killers, which disturbingly is always their favorite for some reason. Uh, and I overhear a few kids talking. Oh my gosh, you guys, it's so funny. He moves to LA and gets mistaken for a serial killer. And from across the room, I interrupt their conversation and say, Jaden, are you talking about Seinfeld? And she says, yeah, Miss McNamney, it's on Netflix. Have you seen it? Yes, I have. Every episode twice before you were born, but thanks for the recommendation. I mean, just different stages of life. Uh, so for the past month, we've explored these four stages of faith from Brian McLaren's book, Faith After Doubt. And the focus has been on how faith is often developed and experienced in stages with the hope that as we recognize this, will be more merciful and patient with ourselves as our faith matures and more welcoming and inclusive of others who may be in a different place than we are. Along with, and you know, this has been the part that's been so helpful to me, recognizing it's often doubt or difficulties that are the doorway towards the next stage of faith. And I know when I go through seasons of doubt, which happens a lot, I struggle with the feeling that I'm losing my faith. And what I've learned from looking at faith from a stages perspective is that those are actually times when my faith is really growing and maturing. And I think that's what we've seen in the last two weeks in the whole story of Easter as well. You know, some of the disciples worshiping, some doubting, and Jesus includes all of them in the Great Commission. He doesn't exclude the doubters. In the Bible, people doubt and struggle, they fail and flail around, and Jesus and the first church take it in stride. And I hope that's been as encouraging for you as it has been for me. So this month, we're gonna take a look at several topics and questions surrounding faith to see how different stages of faith might experience or view them. And the question we're gonna focus on this morning deals with identity or our self-image. 
More specifically, how does our self-image impact our willingness or our capability to mature into a new stage of faith? So to begin to get at this, let's start by looking at one of the most fundamental elements that impacts how we see ourselves, culture. For all of human history, culture has always had a formative role on our sense of self. There's even a theory in biology called culture gene coevolution, which claims that the success of the human species is not due to our individual intelligence, it's because we're a cultural species. You know, our knowledge doesn't start from scratch with each new generation. We learn how to live from those who came before us, and this communal and historic repository of wisdom is called culture. Social psychologist Jonathan Hyde writes in his book, The Righteous Mind, we are 90% chimp and 10% bee. He's saying we're as smart as chimps, but also as communal as bees. And so while other animals can and do learn from each other, none do this as well as humans. And it's this communal quality that's empowered us to be the most successful species on the planet. How we live, what we value, who we are, how we see ourselves is strongly influenced by culture. So if we accept that the natural progression of life and faith occurs in stages, and that culture plays a huge role in the creation of our self-image, our question can be refined to this. How does our particular culture and everything that's unique about it impact our self-image? And then, how does our self-image impact our willingness to mature into a new stage of faith? Well, there are a lot of unique things about our culture, uh, but the one I'd like to zero in on this morning is the incredible pace of change. I'm beginning to suspect the speed at which things change in our culture is impacting our ability to change, you know, to see ourselves differently and experience our faith in new ways. One recent presidential candidate talked about people feeling dislocated from life because things are changing faster than people can. Mike has mentioned that quote several times, and I think anyone over the age of 40 can relate to it. Let's just look at Netflix for an example of how the speed of change in our culture is impacting how we see ourselves. Some sociologists have suggested because of the pandemic, Netflix has become less of a source of entertainment for people and more like a never-ending escape room that helps them discover who they are and what they like. In fact, a recent survey found that if a show becomes popular on Netflix, it creates a surge in conversations around the topics the show is covering. I mean, in the last couple years, I've had more conversations about tigers and Korean game shows than I've ever had in my entire life. This is culture having a massive influence on us. But it isn't just frivolous examples. When The Last Dance aired on Netflix, interest in Michael Jordan skyrocketed. The last episode alone generated a million tweets. 
20 of the 30 trending topics at that time were related to this documentary. But it wasn't just this show. It was everything about Michael Jordan. From his rivalry with LeBron to Air Jordans, he went on to dominate searches and conversations across social media platforms and media itself. But here's where it really gets fascinating. Before Netflix aired The Last Dance, conversations about Jordan came pretty much just from sports fans and journalists in the United States. After the show, interest in him grew globally, particularly among soccer fans in Spain and Latin America. Which, by the way, gives me great hope that maybe Seinfeld has a chance. <laughs> um, and we're seeing the same trend again and again. After Tiger King, interest in big cats went through the roof. Had you invested in a chessboard company before The Queen's Gambit was released, you'd have made a fortune. I mean, so what does all of this mean for us? Our fast-paced, transient, constantly changing culture impacts how we view ourselves, our identity, our self-image. And how we see ourselves, or what we value and desire, impacts how, when, and why we make important transitions in life, including faith. Culture heavily influences our self-image, and our self-image significantly impacts our willingness and even our ability to move from our current stage of faith, you know, how we connect to God, what we think we want or need from our relationship with God, to the one God may be inviting us into. Maybe we could say it this way. Culture creates identity, and identity impacts growth. So how is our culture impacting our growth? Living in such a fluctuating, dynamic culture creates a society of impatient people. We expect to get what we want when we want it. And studies show that the desire for instant gratification, like we not only get with social media or Netflix, but also with many other aspects of our current culture, it puts us at a higher risk of substance abuse, obesity, and depression. Because here's the thing, meaningful pursuits that deepen our resilience and develop our character, our self-image, and our faith take time and patience. The Bible is full of verses that talk about the importance of patience. You know, the word patience is mentioned in the Bible nearly 70 times. And I wonder if it's because experiencing and enjoying God's grace isn't about instant gratification. It's about transformation. And this kind of identity formation is not an on-demand process. It's slow, it's messy, it's unpredictable, and it doesn't necessarily happen how or exactly when we want it to. I'm reminded of our recent series on Galatians and the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is the result of slow, nurtured growth. Mike talked about being a community committed to cultivating character, but that means having to wait until we're ready for it. <laughs> Every day you get one more yard, you take it on faith, you take it to the heart, the waiting 
is the hardest part. Uh, three years ago, I had hip replacement surgery, and the doctors told me it would be one year to get back to 100%, and so that is what I prepared myself for. Uh, but after three or four months, it became pretty clear to my physical therapist, Kenzie, that something was wrong. Like, I wasn't progressing like I should have been. And then around the six-month mark, it became obvious that I had some serious and permanent complications from this surgery. I was still in physical therapy, even though it should have ended months before that. Went back to the doctor multiple times. But in my mind, I still thought I would be at 100% at one year. Well, that didn't happen. Uh, and at that point, you know, I was still walking with a limp, and I couldn't do any of the things that I should have been able to do. Um, and the most frustrating thing about that was I had done everything I was supposed to do. You know, I followed all of my doctor's orders, and I had worked really hard at physical therapy, and yet here I was, not anywhere close to the stage I wanted to be in. And I wasn't okay with that, so I just tried to force myself to do the stuff that I was supposed to be able to do, like jumping and lunging and squatting. Um, and as you can probably imagine, <laughs> that didn't go well. Um, and so Kenzie just kept telling me that even though I was doing all the right things, I just wasn't ready. Uh, he would constantly tell me that I needed to be patient and be kind to myself. And I'm beginning to realize that I often approach my faith in a similar way. You know, I know where I want to be. I think I know what it takes to get there. And so I try to force myself to stop doubting or to start believing or to grow more or faster when those aren't things we can force ourselves into. Richard Rohr says, we don't make or create our souls, we just grow them up. And much of the work of spirituality is learning how to stay out of the way of this natural growing and awakening. Transformation takes time, it takes patience, it takes being kind to ourselves, and it takes waiting on God's grace until we're truly ready for it. And you know, I would also add, it takes a kind, open, generous, compassionate community that highly values us as we are. Like Mike talked about last week, how the first followers of Jesus accepted Thomas, even though he not only didn't believe the same things they did, he also didn't believe them, yet they accepted him anyway. And that's the thing about gracious communities. They invite and include and offer belonging to everyone. Of course, that doesn't mean everyone will accept it. That depends on, to a large extent, their self-image. In the Bible, there's a story about a man known as the rich young ruler, and it says, a man stopped Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Jesus said, why do you question me about what's good? God is the one who's good. If you want to enter the life of God, just do what he tells you. The man asked, what in particular? Jesus said, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as you do yourself. So let's pause for a minute here and notice that Jesus is giving a very simplistic stage one answer. This man is looking for an easy answer. Tell me the black and white, right and wrong rules to follow. And Jesus gives him that. But the story continues. The young man said, I've done all that. What's left? If you want to give it all you've got, Jesus replied, 
Go sell your possessions. Give everything to the poor. All your wealth will then be in heaven. Then come follow me. That was the last thing the young man expected to hear. And so crestfallen, he walked away. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and he couldn't bear to let go. This is a great example of someone who wants to grow and change. And in the words we've been using for the past month, move from one stage of faith and life experience to the next. But he's clearly not ready. Why? He's holding on tight to many things. His whole identity comes from being rich and young and powerful. On the one hand, he thinks he has it all, and his culture and ours would support that conclusion. Yet here he is, coming to Jesus knowing something's missing. Clearly, something is happening in him. But to sell all of his possessions would mean losing all of that. Everything he knows about himself, the story he tells himself about himself, is resting on things that cannot and will not last and won't serve him while his life goes on. Jesus knows the only way for this young man to grow is to get out of his own way. His problem is his self-image, what he thinks he has, he needs, and will not let go of. Culture, and we see it here in this rich young ruler, heavily influences how we see ourselves, our self-image, our identity. And our self-image impacts our ability and willingness to move from one stage of faith to the next. Culture creates identity, and identity impacts growth. One writer claims that there's a danger in being satisfied with our current stage of faith. The status quo does not necessarily nourish us, much less transform us. It invariably secures us and validates us where we already are. Required behaviors and beliefs are good and necessary to get us started. But when we invest in them too heavily, they soon become places to hide, training wheels. Don't we see this in the rich young ruler? I've kept all the rules. If we hold on to them, our current stage, state, self-image, too tightly and for too long, We never internalize values and strengths. We never grow up. As we've looked at different stage theories, whether they are biological, psychosocial, emotional, mental, physical, or spiritual, all of them seem to share the same concept, that it's super important to grow up, but also incredibly damaging to skip stages. And Sheldon Cooper is the perfect example of this. Because of his academic brilliance, he was living in an adult world while he should have still been learning how to be a kid. And now he's stuck in many ways in stages he never naturally progressed through. And while it's funny in the context of a TV show, when it happens in real life or with our faith, it can be really tragic. We need to grow, but also need to let it happen naturally. C.S. Lewis said, it may be hard for an egg to turn into a bird. It would be a jolly sight harder for a bird to learn to fly while remaining an egg. We are like eggs at present. And you cannot go on indefinitely being just an ordinary, decent egg. 
we must be hatched or go bad. So how does an egg hatch? It lets it happen in its own time. It doesn't rush it. There's no how to be hatched. There's only things we do to keep from being hatched. Things like fear of letting go of our culture-created self-identity or are trying to constantly satisfy our desires for instant gratification. When we surrender to God's grace and patiently allow ourselves to be transformed, it changes who we are. So two and a half years after my hip surgery, I still couldn't move well. And at that point, I had pretty much given up on the idea of like ever being back to 100%. You know, I just resigned myself to the fact that there were things that I would never be able to do again. So I had stopped trying to force myself to get better, but in doing so, I lost the desire to get better. And at that point, Kenzie really started to push me. I mean, he knew that I was ready to move forward, but also knew that I couldn't see it. And so lots of our physical therapy sessions during this time were spent arguing over things that he knew I could do, but that I thought I couldn't. And one day in particular, we were working on power cleans, uh, which is basically just trying to get the barbell from the floor to your shoulders. And picking up anything off the floor was really difficult for me. And so, you know, he puts a lot of weight on the bar, and like more than I had ever lifted before I was injured, and then tells me to pick it up. And so my response, obviously, is, I can't lift that. And as we're going back and forth in our difference of opinion, uh, one of my friends who had just finished working out, she comes over to say hi, and she sees me standing in front of this ridiculously heavy barbell and says, you're not going to try to lift that, are you? And I say, no. And she says, good, because I don't think you can lift that. And Kenzie looks at my friend and says, she can lift that. And it was at that moment that I realized maybe I could get better. Now, I'd been injured for so long, I couldn't see past that part of myself, and I needed someone else to say to me, it's time to move forward. Now, I needed someone to believe in me before I could. And this is yet another reason. I just love how Jesus dealt with people who didn't get it, who doubted, who failed and flailed around. There is no shame, pride, or regret in being in the stage of faith that we currently find ourselves in. But if there's anything to regret, it's rushing through our current stage without learning all it has to teach us, or refusing to grow when God, disguised as our real life, invites us to do so. It's so easy to just stay where we are and accept life as it is. Maybe we all need someone from the outside to challenge us to move forward when it's time. We need people in our lives to tell us when it's time to move on, grow up, and hatch. This is what it means to be a cultural being as God designed us to be. We need a gracious community to show us when we're ready to move to the next stage. Emily Durkheim, uh, who was one of the founders of sociology, wrote something long ago that gets to the heart of what God is inviting us into and why. 
as well as the dream that God has called Storyline to embody together. Religious beliefs and practices turned out to matter very little. Whether you believe in hell, whether you pray daily, whether you are a Catholic, Protestant, Jew, or Mormon, none of these things matter. The only thing that was reliably and powerfully associated with the moral benefits of religion, or growth, was how enmeshed people were in relationships with their co-religionists. It's the friendships and group activities carried out within a moral matrix that emphasizes selflessness, that's what brings out the best in people. It's religious belongingness that matters, not religious believing. One of the things I love about Storyline is that it's not only that we encourage people to belong before they believe, no matter what they believe, but that our intention is never to try to change anybody's beliefs. It's simply to love everyone right where they are and help them grow into who God made them to be. I mean, that is culture at its best, for the best in people. Culture creates identity, and identity impacts growth. The Netflix, social media, instant gratification culture we live in cultivates impatience. Jesus and his gospel of grace nurtures a patient yearning for more life, a more resilient self-image, and a deepening faith that not only can withstand the ups and downs of life, but brings that kind of life and love with it along the way for others. Let's pray. God, thank you for the chance to be together this morning and for this gracious community. We ask that you help us to live in and live out your gospel of grace to develop patience and a willingness to move forward in our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming this morning. See you next week.